Good Friday. How can one describe such a day? The wrongdoing of all humanity putting to an end an innocent man, the Son of God. This is the story of Jesus' death by way of a cross, all in one moment bringing death to the bright light of our future. He never stopped loving us, and yet this is the incredible part of it. Our sin stopped his heart. Our sin drove the nails firmly in the hands of God. All along, these were the plans. We told ourselves that we were in control, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. The brutal beating, the inhuman flogging, the naked humiliation. Heaven watched and saw it all. Our rebellion, our guilt, our shame, erasing the very notion of reconciling us with God. Our sin and our debt overcoming Jesus. Here is our king, obliterated. The enemy laughing, his plans unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of freedom rising. Now God's people are utterly broken. Behold the chains of mortality. Yes, this is what is true. We had heard the stories of old. The lost are found, the blind can see, the weak are made strong. But now we are witnesses to this reality. God is dead. We'd almost believed there is a way of redemption. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a peace beyond understanding. Now we know better. For us, we can say that God is encapsulated in this one realization. The single greatest sacrifice in human history is finished. How clearly we can see it. So what's so good about Good Friday? Just one thing, that the blood of Jesus can reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life. How clearly we can see it is finished. The single greatest sacrifice in human history encapsulated in this one realization, we can say that God is for us. Now we know better. There is a peace beyond understanding. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a way of redemption. We had almost believed God is dead, but now we are witnesses to this reality. The weak are made strong. The blind can see. The lost are found. We had heard the stories of old. Yes, this is what is true. The chains of mortality utterly broken. Behold, freedom rising. Now God's people are unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of the enemy laughing. His plans obliterated. Here is our King, Jesus, overcoming our sin and our debt, reconciling us with God, erasing the very notion of our rebellion, our guilt, our shame. Heaven watched and saw it all, the naked humiliation, the inhuman flogging, the brutal beating, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. We told ourselves that we were in control. All along, these were the plans firmly in the hands of God. 
Our sin drove the nails. Our sin stopped his heart. And yet, this is the incredible part of it. He never stopped loving us. The bright light of our future all in one moment, bringing death to death by way of a cross. This is the story of Jesus, the Son of God, an innocent man putting to an end the wrongdoing of all humanity. How can one describe such a day? Good Friday. Unfortunately, we have to say this in our current culture and reality. But everything that I'm about to say to you tonight, <clears throat> I believe with everything that I am. I'm going to say that one more time. Everything that I'm about to say to us tonight, I believe with every fiber of my body. Yes. This message tonight is what gets me up every morning. Yeah. And what gives me peace every time I lay my head on the pillow. It is the message of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 17, verse, 1 Corinthians 17 to verses 25. This will be our text for this evening. Paul the Apostle writing, and he says this. <clears throat> for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with eloquent wisdom. And here's why. So that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to those who are being saved. Amen. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. <clears throat> but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Tonight as we continue our march towards Resurrection Sunday, I want to speak to you from the subject tonight, the piercing. Don't forget the cross as we set our gaze on the humble power and truth of the cross of Christ. Will you pray with me just one more time this evening? Father, we thank you for your word right now. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, <clears throat> and it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, many of us in here tonight know this word 
know this gospel truth, but maybe we've lost the power and the veracity of it. I pray that we would see it and experience it and come face to face with it again. And maybe many of us in here tonight have never heard the gospel truth of the cross of which you bore. And I pray tonight that it would be illuminating, that it would be powerful, and God, that it would set us all free. So we love you. We praise you. We give you this space to speak to us right now. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give praise to Jesus just one more time? I want to hold a tension with us tonight that I work to hold on Good Friday. Because if we're honest, all of us want to get to Sunday. And maybe you can feel it in the room tonight because some of us, we love the part where it talks about after three days he got out of the grave. Don't we all love that part? And we as Christians, and especially Western Christians, and we'll talk about this in a moment, have a tendency to try to get to, the, uh, get, to the, get to Resurrection Sunday as fast as we can. But we need to stay at the cross. I'm getting older right now. I'm getting balder. My voice isn't as strong as it used to be. I'm trying to keep my body so I can keep up with my son and my daughters. The other day we were in Zion National Park and we decided to rent some electric bikes at the end of the evening and Erica's usually the detail person for our outfit and so me trying to get ahead of it all jumped out of the truck and went into the area to rent the electric bikes and failed to realize that in that moment they were going to ask me a million and one questions about our family that in that moment I was going to be subject to humiliation as I had to fill out these things for my three children. And the lady looks at me as my son pokes me in the side saying, Dad, how did you forget our birthdays? (laughs) That's a true story. For like a second, and then they came back, but I did not remember the year. In his book, The Thrill of Orthodoxy, Trevin Wax writes this. The church faces her biggest challenge Not when new errors start to win, but when old truths no longer wow. This is what Paul was addressing as he wrote to the Corinthian church. They were in danger of forgetting the very aspect of Jesus necessary for their salvation. And in its place, human wisdom and earthly power. Writer of the evangelical commentary on the Bible writes this, the implication is that the message of the cross has been neglected in the Corinthian search for wisdom in favor of a different focus. But this is not just a Corinthian issue, this is a human issue. How easy is it for us to forget the cross of Christ? How easy is it for us to to move past the march towards Calvary? How quickly we forget the grit of Golgotha? How quickly do we forget the tree to which the words it was finished was said from? This ought not to be so in the life of those who Paul would say are being saved by its power. Like the Jews and the Greeks of Paul's church, We tend to forget the cross because it doesn't make sense, and it's not the symbol we like to identify yet with, yet the cross is necessary for salvation. See, we like to make the cross of Christ about many other things, don't we? 
We try to reverse engineer it and make it about overcoming earthly power structures or the, or the rescuing of the poor and the destitute. We like to make the cross of Christ a, a, a social justice symbol or at worst a medieval torture apparatus. But the cross of Christ stands for, it's about one thing and one thing only, and that is the abolition of sin, the wages of sin being death. The cross is nothing else. This is what Paul would write. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, he would say, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Is anybody thankful for God's word tonight? The Puritan theologian John Owen said it like this, Christ's blood is the great cure-all of souls that are sick with sin. Set your faith in him. Live in this reality and you will die a conqueror. I'm serious, you will, through the providence of God, live to see your evil desires dead at your feet. In his book, The Message of 1 Corinthians, Life in the Local Church, David Pryor writes this, the word perish stands for definitive destruction, not merely in the sense of extinction of physical existence, but rather of an eternal plunge into Hades and a hopeless destiny of death in the depiction of which such terms are used as wrath and fury and tribulation and distress. But this isn't a popular message, is it? Come on, I said this isn't a popular message, is it? That's why we can't forget the cross. This is why Paul uses the word perishing to describe our state of being without the cross of Christ. This state of perishing, verse 18, as we read in Corinthians, is highlighted by the Greek word apolymenos, which means to destroy, to be destroyed, to perish eternally. Spoken of eternal death, future punishment, exclusion from the Messiah's kingdom in the sense it has the same meaning as other Greek words that mean we are done eternally. But Paul goes on and supplies us with another word that's important for our understanding in the acquisition of the cross, and that is the word salvation. Come on, somebody. The Greek word employed here is sozo minios, safe. Delivered, to save, deliver, make whole, preserve, safe from danger, loss, and destruction. Specifically of salvation from eternal death, sin, and the punishment and misery consequent to sin. To save, to give eternal life, especially by way of Christ as Savior. In his book, The Cross of Christ, Christ, author John Stott writes concerning the declaration of the truth of the cross. All Christian, listen to what he says. This is amazing. He says, all Christian preachers have to face this issue. Either we preach that human beings are rebels against God under his judgment and, if left to themselves, lost, and that Christ crucified who bore their sin and curse is the only available Savior. Or we emphasize human potential and human ability, with Christ brought in only to boost them, and with no necessity for the cross except to exhibit God's love, and so inspire us to greatest endeavor. The former is the way to be faithful. The latter is, to, is the way to be popular. 
And then he goes on to say this, it is not possible to be faithful and popular simultaneously. Currently, we live in a culture and a society where a lot more people are trying to be popular rather than faithful. In order to be popular, one must rid the cross of its visceral reaction and objection to sin. As the authors of the Preacher Commentary series would put it, we preach and witness to the gospel of Christ. And it's imperative that we have the same confidence in it that Paul did. And it is equally essential that we neither add to it or attempt to reduce it in any way. The cross doesn't need us to help it out. When we understand the power of the cross, what it freed you and I from, then it is the greatest thing that has ever taken place in the history of humanity. But it'd be further examination of the letter to the Corinthians that we would find two common reactions to what Paul would say is the word of the cross. He would point out that the word of the cross was both, number one, a stumbling block to the Jews. It was a stumbling block to the Jews because crucifixion was unbecoming of anyone, let alone their awaited messianic king. Frankly speaking, to be crucified was not a good look. It wasn't popular. One author said it like this, the phrase of the cross is often used in too vague of a way without spelling out the fact of a particular person being strung up on that Roman gibbet. God's wisdom is seen in the Messiah hanging on a tree. To the Jews, that presents a stumbling block, a complete scandal, because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was so looked down upon that they would not even crucify Roman citizens for the sake of maintaining some sort of standard for the reputation of Rome and the people of Rome. So literally, the Jews would trip over this idea of a crucified Savior. The Roman orator and philosopher Cicero called crucifixion, and I quote, a most cruel and disgusting penalty. And from a Jewish perspective, the, once, the one crucified was under God's curse. However, it was a power issue as well. As Warren Worsby would comment in his exposition commentary, this was the attitude of the Jews because their emphasis on miraculous signs and the cross appears to be weakness. Jewish history is filled with miraculous events from the exodus out of Egypt to the days of Elijah and Elisha. When Jesus was ministering on earth, the Jewish leaders repeatedly asked him to perform a sign from heaven. One such moment is captured in Matthew chapter 16, 1 through 4. The Pharisees and the Sadducees approached and tested him, asking to show them a sign from heaven. Is that right if we just get into the Bible tonight? He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be good weather because the sky is red, and in the morning today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. In the Jason Parrish translation, he dropped the mic. <laughs> you see, they were looking for a king of power, not a humiliated savior placed on a cross. However, the cross looked different to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles, it looked like folly or foolishness. 
For the Gentiles and the Greeks, it was another issue that would cause them to refuse the the Jesus of the cross. It simply wasn't logistical and, and, and logical, and therefore it was laughable. It didn't make sense. The cross didn't work within the framework of their logic and their systems of wisdom and and understanding. Much like we do today, the Greeks and the Gentiles looked upon the cross from a human point of view. The educational reality and framework, I don't know if you knew this or not, that we operate in today was passed down from that generation of thinkers and philosophers. And we still do it today, don't we? We debate the logic and validity of the cross from a natural and humanistic perspective point of view. Like those sitting in Paul's church, we tend to dismiss what the cross is and who the cross is for because it doesn't fit in with our safe, Western, passive, inclusive, everything must feel good and make sense kind of culture. Let me be very clear when I say this tonight. All, and I mean all, are welcome at the foot of the cross, but the cross demands that we leave ourselves there. We leave ourselves there in order to receive the life Christ provides through the cross. This is why Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, the problem the Corinthians faced and the one that we still face today is that we're trying to rationalize the cross with human wisdom and therefore stripping it of its power in and for our lives. This is why it was foolishness to Gentiles, laughable, utterly stupid. The Greek word used for foolishness right here is the word morion. A ridiculous thought, moronic. Stupid. Things we tell our kids not to say about others. That was the foolishness of the cross. I understand that there may be other views and perspectives concerning the cross, but these are the two that Paul assesses here in Corinthians, and they are two that I personally still see very much alive and well today. Come on, is anybody with me? So what do we do with all this? Remember, I'm trying to hold attention tonight because everything inside of me wants to preach Easter. Right? Some of you are like, how long is he going to preach for? Another few minutes, guys. Another few minutes. <laughs> this is why we, we, we take communion tonight. This is why we sing the way that we're, we're singing tonight. And, and I know it's loud in here, and I know it's hot in here, and I know there's your people next to you, and you want to lift your hands, but you can't because your elbow's in their armpit. Like, I get it. <laughs> but come on, praise God that all of us can gather in circumstances like that. And celebrate the cross of Christ on a Friday night in Salt Lake City, Utah. So what do we do with all this? Good Friday bids us to come to the cross. I want to say this as clear as possible. We cannot have the power of Resurrection Sunday without the brutality of Crucifixion Friday. We can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. And too many of us try to get to Easter without the cross. And this is how many of us approach Jesus. We want the resurrected Christ. We want the power of Christ. We want the victory of Christ. 
but you can't have the power of Christ until we have the death of Christ. This is a picture of salvation. We come to the cross and we crucify our sin. And that's why Paul says in Galatians that he is crucified with Christ, that the cross is the power of God for those who are being saved. So with the time that we have left tonight, and before we receive communion together, I want to look at three truths that we must walk away with tonight. And I hope that we hold close over the next 24 to 36 hours as we look towards Resurrection Sunday. Is that all right with everybody tonight? If you're writing notes, write this first thought down. We cannot have Jesus. Listen to me. We cannot have Jesus without the cross. I want us to see this interaction between Jesus and Peter concerning what must happen to Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, 21 through to 23 says this. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. From the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. Peter took him aside like Peter does. If you haven't read the Bible much, Peter was always out front. He was always saying stuff he shouldn't have said, doing stuff he shouldn't have done. He's kind of like the teacher's pet and class clown all at the same time. So Peter took him aside, and, and I love that language. How, how, how do you take Jesus aside? <laughs> Try that sometime. Could you imagine Peter walking up to you? Hey, Jesus, I, I need you to come with me. L listen, you're saying some things. And they're throwing the rest of the guys off. <laughs> Truth be told, some of them want to go fish again. Look <laughs> at how do you take Jesus aside? But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That's like my son taking me aside. He's being like, Dad, we, we need to talk about dinner. Okay, <laughs> we need to talk about dinner. So Jesus is taken aside by Peter. He begins to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. And this is what he says. We all, we all stop there because if that wasn't hard enough, he says, you are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Jesus without the cross is simply a capitulation to our human concerns. Honestly, this is the underbelly of consumer Christianity. Oh, he said it on Good Friday night. <laughs> this is the underbelly of consumer Christianity. The gospel without the cross is not the whole gospel. This is why Paul emphatically writes in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians, but we preach Christ and him crucified. P.T. Forsyth, the English Congregationalist, wrote in the Cruciality of the Cross in 1909. He said this, Christ is to us just what his cross is. All that Christ was in heaven or on earth was put into what he did there. Christ, I repeat, is to us just what his cross is. You do not understand Christ till you understand the cross. 
if I can be your pastor tonight. I'm concerned that many of us have simply said yes to the grave-conquering Jesus and not the cross-carrying Jesus. No, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love the grave-conquering Jesus. But without the cross-carrying part, it's not a full gospel. See, the cross and the grave have a symbiotic relationship. They're interconnected. In the early formation days of the church, the cross was the blunt force object of the message of the gospel. Jesus' resurrection shows us that he's faithful to his promise. The cross shows us that Jesus is true to his love. Some of us need to hear this tonight. We cannot believe that Jesus loves us if we're not acquainted with the cross. Consider Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have also have such a large cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on who? Every shout, Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him, for the joy that lay before him, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Come on, somebody. This is the Bible. It's not my words. Don't forget the cross. One author said it like this, Christianity, Christianity as it exists in modern culture, which is often airbrushed, filtered, and fabricated, has attempted to take the violence, the blood, the brutality, and the atrocity out of the crucifixion. We live more in a time that could be characterized as feel-good Christianity. Generally today, people think that the religion should make them feel uncomfortable. Their religion should always make them feel good about themselves and their lives. Don't forget the cross. For some of us, it's uncomfortable. I'm concerned for our generation. I'm concerned. Look at the generation of next generation sitting right down here on the front floor. It's awesome but I'm concerned that we're not passing the message on when we leave out the cross. The cross was the purpose of Jesus, the dealing with sin and condemnation. The cross was necessary for justification, the legal term for right standing before God due a sacrifice being made. We could go on and on, and so as we reflect on our way to Resurrection Sunday, we must remember that we cannot have Jesus without the cross. Number two, the second thought I want to leave us with tonight is this, is that the cross invites us into the life of faith that God has for us. Y'all with me tonight still? Matthew chapter 16, 24 through to 26 says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what 
Will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? The life that God has for us is seen in and through the cross, church. Interestingly, most of the clarity that is brought around defining the life of a disciple is done in and through Jesus' crucifixion. The problem is, is that we're leaving the cross out of discipleship. And I get it. We get asked this question a lot sometimes is, well, we're in a church. How come we don't have the cross on the wall and, and, and around us and in and, uh, a light in the middle of the lobby? And I get that question, and there's a lot of reasons about it. But even more compelling to me is why are we not preaching it as much as we should preach it? And the truth is, is because it doesn't fill the seats on Sunday. Oh, it's getting quiet in church tonight. You thought I wouldn't meddle on Friday night. <laughs> Because it doesn't. No one says, hey, why don't you come to church? We're going to talk about the brutality of the cross and what Jesus had to go through so that he could save a wretch like me. We don't like that. We try to sugarcoat it and make it beautiful and make it nice. But can I tell you, we cannot celebrate Resurrection Sunday if we don't first understand what it is that we are invited into, and it's the cross. The cross shows us that we must deny ourselves. We must literally lose our lives to the cross, and in losing our life, we actually find it. See, the problem is, is that many of us try to hold on to the life that we have and to Jesus. That's what our current culture is calling love. Love, the way our culture sees it, is that we get to not just hang on to the life that we have, but the life the way we want to define it as well. Somewhere along the way, we concluded that Christ's love is a hall pass for our deviancies and dysfunctions and deficits and delusions. But this is what Paul the Apostle would define in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, as being taken captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Can I preach the Bible to you tonight? Theologian John Stott said this, if we're looking for a definition of love, we should look not in a dictionary, but at Calvary. See, the good news of Good Friday is that Jesus paid the price for our sins. He then invites us to lose our lives in him and his sacrifice in order to find the life that he has for us. The life that was designed, formed, and fashioned by the God of creation. The life that he breathes his spirit into, empowering us to live out this new life in his name, for his name, to the glory of his name. This is the good news of Good Friday, and it's by way of the cross. Come on, is anybody thankful for the cross of Jesus tonight? Last one, number three. The third thought to take us to Sunday is this. The cross is the conduit for the conquering of the grave. The cross is the conduit for the conquering of the grave. Maybe I'm just saying the same thing another way, but we must get this. You can't overcome the grave without first submitting to the cross. Listen to Paul again in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 5. He says this. Now I want to make, I want to make clear. Everybody shout clear. clear. I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, 
which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important, remember shout most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. See, Holy Week is so important because it helps us understand the full spectrum of Christ's journey to his resurrection. And it is a part of the message that we are to hold fast to. It will be the following several verses that Paul will launch into a discourse on the resurrection, which we'll look at on Sunday. I cannot wait for Sunday. But we can't forget the cross. We'll talk about the authority of Christ, the power of God. Christ's second coming and the total defeat of death as he ushers in his kingdom reign. Praise be to God. The question was asked, what is so good about Good Friday? Friend, can I tell you? It's the cross. the goodness of crucifixion Friday is the sacrifice that our King Jesus made. And we can't forget the cross. We can't celebrate Resurrection Sunday if we don't stop first at the cross. Are you hearing my heart tonight? Are you hearing the Bible tonight? This is, as Paul would say, of first importance. And I know it's a hard message because it causes us to look in the mirror. I watched that video today, sitting at my table with my wife and my five-year-old are playing outside and highlighting my notes. As I normally do to get ready for speaking. And I'm watching the video nonchalant, and the question came up, what's so good about Friday? And I sat there at my dining room table, tears filling my eyes as I once again looked at the mirror of the cross. Many of us want Resurrection Sunday to be the mirror, but we got to remember what the cross paid for. Oh, don't worry, we'll get to Sunday. But we gotta look in this mirror first. We've gotta be acquainted with the cross. In this moment, I'm gonna ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. Before we take communion in all of our rooms tonight, online, I wanna ask you, if you are acquainted with the cross? Have you said yes to Jesus? We sit in a service like tonight, not because we don't have anything better to do on a Friday. We sit in a service like we do tonight because it's a good Friday. 
It is the Friday in which our Savior's body was broken and his blood was shed for you and for me. Tonight, I wonder if you've said yes to Jesus. I wonder if you've looked in that mirror and come to the realization that he did it for you. He saw you. He saw me. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So with every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, in this room, auditorium two, the hub, online, we're going to pray a prayer together tonight, all of us together so we don't leave anybody out. There's nothing fancy in these words or special in these words, but rather the heart from which these words come tonight. And if you would say, man, Jason, I want to say yes to this Jesus we've been talking about tonight. Come on, make this your prayer with us. Come on, as loud as we can, would you just repeat these words after me? Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. Make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Tonight, I'm repenting of my sin that you nailed to the cross. And I am receiving tonight, by grace, the salvation that I have in you. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around right now, if you are praying that for the first time tonight and you are saying yes to Jesus, come on, would you just shoot your hand up? Whatever room you're in, would you just shoot your hand up right now if that's you tonight? Right here, right here, right here, right here, right back over there. Come on, anybody in here, anybody else in here tonight that would say right up here? Come on, right back over there, I see you. Anybody else tonight that would say, this is me, this is my moment, I'm saying yes to Jesus tonight. Oh, praise God, I see your hand right there, ma'am. Anybody else tonight that would say, this is me, I'm saying yes. Praise God. I see you guys up front. Anybody else tonight that would say, this is me? Oh, come on. Can we lift our head, open our eyes? Can we just celebrate all those saying yes to Jesus tonight? So those of you who lifted your hands, we're going to have some very important instructions for you in just a few moments. But all across our rooms tonight, I'm going to ask everybody to stand right now as we get ready to take communion. If you would, on your seat, you should have found a little little thing. <laughs> it's a baggie. If you're in Auditorium 2 and here, the hub. If you have not received one of these, will you just lift your hand right now? We're going to just take a moment. We want to make sure there's a couple over here, one back here. Our ushers will make sure we grab you and get something into your hand. Auditorium 2, if, if you haven't received that, we'll make sure that you can get it. Just lift your hand. If you're in the hub tonight, we want to make sure that you get that. Our ushers should be working on that right now. Just give us a moment.
Jesus. You know, Eric and I used to sit in services like this. Never did I think I'd be leading one. Neither did most of my teachers. <laughs> but there it is, isn't it? The power of the cross. Who would save a sinner, a wretch like me? But for Jesus, life made new. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 says this, is that as they were eating, this is Jesus with his disciples. Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said this, take and eat, this is my body. Tonight would you take and eat in this moment. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out. Listen to what Jesus said, lest we forget the cross, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Tonight, would you take and drink? Come on, all across this building tonight, can we lift our hands to heaven? Oh, Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you tonight that we can stop and remember the cross. Remember your broken body and your shed blood so that we might find freedom in you. God, I thank you tonight for those who have said yes to your cross. God, I thank you that new life is taking place right now in Jesus' mighty name. God, I thank you tonight that you are healing bodies because of the stripes that you received. Your word tells us that by your wounds we have been healed. And so, God, we thank you for healing power right now in Jesus' mighty name. God, I thank you tonight that your cross reconciles us that your cross sets us free, that your cross removed the guilt and the shame that was due to us, the wages of our sin being death, but now we have eternal life in you because of your blood. And we thank you tonight for your goodness and your mercy.